Ah, it helps to operate it correctly. How are you doing? Hello. It's good to see you guys. All right. I love the song we just say. Let's think about it just for a second. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Wherever you came in this morning, you may be slipping and sliding in. I don't know where you're at. But are you building your life on Jesus Christ? When we're doing this whole thing about revival, it's to seek his face passionately and say, God, I don't want to build on anything other than the rock of my salvation upon Jesus Christ, my Lord. So I'm excited, man. I love to be with the people of God. So anyways, I'm kind of sketchy because we've been fasting, and I want to know how the fasting's going. How's the fasting going? Obviously, I'm loopy. So, all right, three of you are starving, but you're excited. You're starving, but God's, God's doing great things. I want to take a moment and just pray for all who are fasting. It may be from social media. It may be from food. But I just want us to bow our heads right now and just pray for anybody who's fasting. Lord God, we hunger for you. We need you, Father. We want the bread from heaven. Father, we're not content with the bread of this world. We're not content with all the things that distract us, Father. We want one attention, one pure and holy passion to hunger and thirst and chase after the name of Jesus and after you, Father, God, to do your will, Lord. We admit we're a people that need you. We admit that we're a people who have sinned. We admit that we're a people that have strayed, who have gone away from our first love. And, Father, we're asking that we'd return to you, that we come back, Lord Jesus. Father, that you would not remove the lampstand in this church, but, God, it would burn brightly with the presence of Almighty. God, we're praying for this, Father. I'm praying for all who are fasting We're being faithful in this time. Lord, I pray that just whatever they're fasting, that you'd meet them there. That, God, you would nourish their bodies with the bread of life. You are the bread of life, Jesus. I'm praying that you would, that manna from heaven that is you, Lord, that you nourish our bodies with that, our minds, God, our souls, Lord, our mind, will, and emotions, Father. So I just thank you, Lord, for this day and get to worship you. You're so amazing. You're mighty. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been talking about prayer and fasting, and today I want to talk about intercession. Now, you may have heard that word. If you've heard that word, you're like, intercession, you kind of know what it's about. It's about prayer, right? And some of you are like, what word is he saying? So I want to give just a really basic definition of what intercession is. It's praying on behalf of others, right? It could be people, circumstances, it could be anything, right? For intercession, kind of nod at me. I'm one of those preachers that you better nod at me, otherwise I'm sinking fast up here, all right? Thanks. But here's the deal. Let's sharpen that a little bit. The dictionary says this. It says it's the attempt to reconcile differences between two people or groups. Well, that's good. That's really good. But we need to sharpen it a little bit more. So here's what I am. Usually I have like stories up front, but they're all on the back end. So we're going, we're rolling right in. We're going to do point one. Are you ready? Because this is odd for me. So point one, Jesus is interceding. Jesus is interceding. And for you, you know what intercession is? That's exciting. Listen to Romans 8.34. Who is he that condemns? Is it Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Let me ask you a question. Where is Jesus according to that scripture? Talk to me. At the right hand of God. And what is he doing? He's interceding. He's making intercession for us. That's good news when you know that 
Our Lord is continually praying for us at the throne. Let me read one more. Here's Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is also able. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. I say that about every scripture, but I love this verse. Therefore, he is able. Jesus is able to save those to the utmost, those who have come to God through him, since he always, what, lives to make intercession for them. Okay, so I want to ask you, is Jesus praying right now for you and for us? It's a trick question. It's a trick question. Not at me, yes, no, maybe so, I don't know, I'm just going to leave it to you. (laughs) Yes, but also no. Watch. Intercession, intercession is not just a prayer, it's also a work. You can pray the prayer of intercession, but it's incomplete without the work of intercession. And I'll show you that in just a second. This is the deal. Intercession is twofold. It's a double-edged sword. It's like a double-edged sword. There's the prayer of intercession, and there's the work of intercession. And they go hand in hand. So is Jesus praying? Yes, but he also did a work. We can make intercessory prayer on the behalf of others because of the intercessory work of Jesus at the cross. That's the work he did. In other words, Jesus did the ultimate work of intercession at Calvary. Intercession means to bring two parties together. We already heard that. It's to take the hand of a lost world and join it to the hand of God. Jesus is our representative to the Father. He represents us to the Father. But here's the other thing he did. He represented the Father to us. What are we supposed to do? Who are we supposed to represent and go? See, the only reason I can have a relationship with the Father is because Jesus has brought us together through the work of the cross. That's what intercession means. See, you can pray the prayer of intercession, but it's incomplete without the work of intercession. And at its foundation, it's a work that Jesus did. It's what we base all our prayers on. But what I'm trying to get us to see, and I hope by the end of this you'll see, that it's incomplete without the work of intercession on our part too. And I'll get to that. So in the Old Testament, you see on your screen, it says taga. It's a Hebrew word for intercession. And it's used over 46 times. And it isn't always translated intercession. But it always means two things coming together. Let me show you an example. Now this is bringing obscure scripture to church today. So when you hear this, you're like, what does this have to do with anything? But listen, watch. So it's in Joshua 17.10, and this is talking about the borders of the promised land with the different tribes. So it says, southward, it was Ephraim's. Northward, it was Manasseh's. And the sea was its border. Manasseh's territory was adjoining, and that means met together. King James says met together. Asher on the north and Issachar on the east. That's our word. That's our word, Taga, right there. That's intercession. Meet together, adjoining together. Now, there's an English word, and Brian Lake said this. It was cool because in staff, he jokingly said this. But there's an English word that we derive, that we have, that comes from intercession. Can you guess what it is? You hear it all the time on weather and traffic if you're watching the news. Intersection. Intersection. Where two roads go together, where two parties come together, where two paths cross. Our goal in any prayer is that my way intersects with God's way and I start to go God's way. Here's another time, Joshua 19, 11. It says this, 
their border went towards the west and to a really hard name to say, Marala, went to another really hard name to say, Dabasheth, and extended, that's our word right there, reached along, reached along, extended along, reached to the brook that is east of another really hard name to say, Jokinim. That's our Hebrew word, Taga. And here's what I'm saying. When we couldn't reach to God, he reached to us. And now we're to do the same for others. That's the work of intercession. When our borders couldn't come close to God, he expanded his borders to reach our borders. This is a prophetic passage about Jesus in the Old Testament in Isaiah. And if you've ever read Isaiah, it's amazing what it says about what Jesus will do when he hits the earth. But listen to this, Isaiah 59, 16. He saw, this is talking about the Lord. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his righteousness, it sustained him. God looked down from heaven and saw that there was no man that could reach man and no way that man could reach him. There was no one to stand between God and man. Intercession is God reaching down for us. It says in Ezekiel, and I looked, this is God talking, Father God, and I looked for a man who would stand in the gap and make up a hedge that I would not destroy him. And there was none. You see, their sin had affected them so much They wouldn't come away from their sin. It was affecting them. It was killing them. It was killing people around them. And God says it's time for judgment. But he's looking for someone to stand in the gap. And it says he found none. It's a messianic scripture about Jesus. This is what that verse is saying. Jesus wondered that there was no man to stand in the gap. So he stood in the gap himself. He became that man and stood between the justice of God and brought us close to the grace of God. Isaiah 53, 12 says this. And if you know Isaiah 53, it's awesome. This is where, where it talks about he's pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. But it says this, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul into death. Who is it talking about? Jesus. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made what? Intercession for the transgressors. Guys, at the heart of intercession, at the heart, this is the heart of intercession. This is the work of intercession. The greatest prayer meeting in all history took place when righteousness and justice and peace collided in the torn flesh of our Savior. Intercession is not just a life of prayer. It's laying down your life for the sake of others. It's praying for the lost and telling them the gospel. You see, at the heart of the gospel, of the intercession, is a burden for the lost. A burden for the lost. He didn't just make a prayer for us. Jesus prayed. He is still praying. He made a bridge to God, and he is that bridge. Jesus is that bridge. And all we're doing is helping people get to the bridge. Are we helping people get to the bridge? That's what matters. Your prayers, and let this soak in. Your prayers are the bridge from the person you're praying for to God. Let that soak in for a second. Your prayers are the bridge from the person you're praying for to God. That's what intercession is. Guys, we're put on this earth to be about our Father's business. Are we about our Father's business? 
to be a bridge from eternal hell to eternal heaven by telling them the good news of Jesus Christ. Our ultimate goal is to depopulate hell and populate heaven. That's it. And it's with the simple message of the cross. And I'm going to make a very bold statement right here. Very bold statement. The lost, the people who do not know Jesus, will not and cannot be saved unless someone prays for them and goes to them. I know that seems to be a shocking statement. But look at the Bible, what the Bible says about those who don't know him. It says they're children of the devil, just like we all were before we were saved. John 8, 44. They're under the authority of Satan, Acts 26, 18. They're captive at the strong man's house, Mark 3, 27. They're prisoners of war, Isaiah 14, 17. And their minds are blinded to the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. Let me read that one a little bit more. It says this, if our gospel... Be hid. It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, who's the God of this world? Satan, has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. See that word veiled? Satan's goal is to veil them. It's like when you go to the Middle East and you see those black robes and women are dressed up in those total black robes and there's maybe a little slit where their eyes can go through and then there's a veil over that. That's what it's saying. That's a picture of what Paul is saying right there. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to make them slaves and enslave them to a blindness in their minds. There's a veil or a covering over their minds that prevents them from clearly seeing the light and truth of the gospel. But we have been given a part in playing in this, in lifting the veil off their minds until unbelievers have an unveiling, a revelation, they won't. They can't understand the gospel because the veil prevents them from comprehending it. Satan's goal is to hide the truth of the gospel in order to keep unbelievers in his grasp. So why do we pray for the lost? Why do we pray for those who don't know him? Is it to change God's mind about them? No. His mind's made up. He wants them to know him. It's his will. The scriptures say that it's his will that all men should be saved. Now, just because it's his will, will all men be saved? No, because he's given us free will. And some will choose not to be saved. The reason you have to pray and persevere in intercession is to put pressure on Satan's forces that are trying to keep God's will from being accomplished. We're his partners in this. Guys, we are praying down satanic blindness and chains off when you pray and do the work of intercession. Now, let me tell you how not to pray, all right? So this is how some of us pray. God, if if it's your will, let such and such across the street be saved. Here's a secret. It is his will that they are saved. And what he needs is for your will to get off its hiney and walk across the street and tell him about Jesus. That's it. It's that simple. Pray for them and tell them the simple message of the cross. God's not asking us to be wise and crafty to present this gospel. He simply wants us to love them enough to say, hey, this is what happened in my life. Jesus rescued me. Let me tell you a little bit more about him. It's the cross, not our cleverness, that will open their hearts. It's our prayers and our willingness to go. Let me say that again. It's the cross, not our cleverness, not our eloquence, 
not our wiring, nothing else that will open their hearts. It's our prayers and our willingness to go. God is seeking intercessors to pray and go. So if Jesus is interceding, do you think we should be interceding? And I hope you answer yes. I hope I answer yes. Listen to 1 Timothy 2.1. Says, therefore, I exhort first of all, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for who? All men. We pray the prayers that stand between God and man. See, it's like this I'm standing between the situation on earth and in heaven, and when I pray, Specifically for people who don't know Christ, I'm trying to bring those hands together. My prayers are the bridge that are bringing those hands together. What if everyone in here started taking hold of heaven and taking hold of earth and being the intercessor on behalf of those who don't know Christ? If you took hold of God and you took hold of that children, that, that child that's gone away every day, or that family member or that person at work who doesn't know Jesus... And you continue to pray till you bring their hand with God's hand together until there's an intersection where they and God run into each other because you made intercession possible by your prayers. Are we interceding on behalf of the lost? Guys, that's what the church is all about. This is our mission. This is our goal. Jesus, what did he say to the disciples? I've come to make you fishers of men. Fishers of men is what God has called this church to be. So here's an example. This is a prayer bowl from our Friday and Saturday worship nights, right? And it was right over in the corner. We just asked people to write a name on there of somebody they know that doesn't know the Lord and to pray over that and to pray over the other thing in here. So, all right, here I go. Imaginary name. Boom. Picking up imaginary name. So somebody in here prayed for a person named Josh. Okay? So when you're praying for Josh, this is what you're going to do. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to take hold of God, his hand in prayer. You say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Matthew 6, 9, the disciples' prayer. Your version may be something like this. Father, I thank you that you made a bridge to me. I thank you for saving me by grace through faith, through the Lord Jesus Christ's blood. It can be something like that. But what you're doing is you're taking hold of God by acknowledging who he is and thanking him and praising him for all he has done. And the second thing you do is you take hold of Josh in, his, in prayer. You take hold of Josh in prayer and you say something like this. Lord, you know the weight on my heart. There's some of you that are so burdened for some people in your families, in your household, wherever it is at your work right now. But you just bring it before the Lord and say, there's such a weight on my heart, Father. I'm bringing Josh to you right now. I ask that you protect him. I ask your father to take away all the evil influences of friends around him who are trying to lead him in the wrong direction. I ask you, Lord, even to replace those friends with other friends who know you and love you and will bring Josh to you. And I'm asking for a miracle in his life. I'm asking the Holy Spirit will go and convict Josh of the way he's been living. I know this is your will, Father. And right now I'm praying your will. Open doors for an opportunity for me to tell him about Jesus. You know this deep concern of my heart, Lord. I can't hide it from you, so I bring it to you in Jesus' name. It's something like that, something where your hearts cry. Do you see how that works? You take hold of God in one hand, and you take hold of that person in the other hand, and you become a bridge in between them. You stand in the gap for your son or your daughter or whoever it is in your life. And this is the third thing. Pray persistently. Pray persistently. This is the point of everything I'm saying today. In fact, did I just say that to myself? 
Pray persistently. This is what the Lord is calling us to do. You pray and you don't give up on that person, on Josh or whoever it is, no matter what. You continue to pray until there's an intersection between Josh and God, until Josh finally runs into God's arms and God's way becomes his way. And you never, never lose heart. Never lose heart. Remember Jesus, before he began a parable about prayer, told them this parable so they would not lose heart and to always pray and never give up. He knew intercession wasn't going to be easy. He knew that we would pray for people and sometimes it would seem to get worse. Have you ever done that? Where you pray for somebody and then it seems to get worse. They seem to reject God more and you're like, Father, I'm coming to you praying. Here's the reason why. Because when you started praying, a spiritual battle broke out in heaven. And you've got to keep praying and do not give up. Pray always. Don't give up. In other words, intercession means no cheetah prayers. No cheetah prayers, but persistent prayers. And this is the key to everything I'm saying today. Some of you might have heard of a, a man named George Mueller. He was a, an amazing pastor in the 1800s. When, when Christ changed my life when I was 20, my mom had this autobiography. And if there's one autobiography I could recommend everybody to read, it'd be about George Mueller. Amazing man of prayer, of faith in God, amazing pastor that started orphanages, would pray that food would show up on the, on the doorstep when they didn't have anything. Amazing. But George Mueller, before he was saved, was a very, very immoral man. He lived a very immoral life in the 1800s. And when he was 30 years old, he got saved. But his best friend at that time rejected Christ. When Mueller was 90 years old, he was about ready to pass away. And he was praying. And one of his friends heard him pray for his best friend that didn't get saved when he was 30. And he asked Mueller, are you still praying for this guy? He knew this guy. He's like, I know that guy. He ain't never getting saved. If he's this old, he ain't never getting saved. And listen to Mueller. And he said this, I have prayed for him every day, 63 years and eight months since I got saved. Mueller passed away a few days later. When the friend that heard him pray was at his funeral, to his surprise, Mueller's best friend showed up at the funeral. At the end of the funeral, that man that Mueller had prayed for for 63 years went to the edge of the grave, knelt down, and gave his life to Jesus. Why? Because George Mueller prayed for 63 years and eight months. His eyes didn't even see it. He probably saw it in heaven. But talk about standing in the gap. That's not cheetah prayers. He prayed him into heaven. I'm captivated by one intercessor in the scriptures. Most of us are familiar with Jesus' birth. But do you remember Anna in that story? In one translation, I was reading to my wife, it says this, that Anna served the Lord by prayer and fasting. I thought that was cool. She served the Lord by prayer and fasting. For 400 years, from the book of Malachi to Matthew, it's been silent in the heavens. Israel is waiting for salvation. They're lost and waiting for a savior. It's been silent in the heavenlies. And Anna comes along and intercedes for 60 years for salvation to come to Israel. 60 years for Jesus to come and rescue them. Most believe that Anna was 17 when she got married and 20 when she was widowed. But instead of getting married, she dedicated her life to prayer and fasting in the temple. And it was 84 84, 
when she finally set eyes on an eight-day-year-old Jesus. Salvation had come. Sixty years of praying that salvation would come to her people. And he shows up in the temple. Eight days year old. Eight days old. That's not cheetah prayers. That's blood and guts, persistent prayer, never losing heart. See, Anna could have gotten married, but she prayed and fasted in the temple for the salvation of her people. God is seeking for intercessors that will not give up on that child who's gone astray, on that person at work, on that neighbor. Not a one-time prayer, but a daily calling out for him to bring his salvation, for hands to come together for your loved ones. Have you lost hope? There was an experiment done by the Lighthouse Prayer Group, and they took 160 of their intercessors and asked them to each write down one person they knew that didn't know Jesus. And they split the group into two groups, and they told the one group of 80, we want you to pray every day as much as you want for that person to receive Christ. We want you to name them before the Father in heaven. And they took the other 80, and they said, we don't want you to pray at all. Don't pray a single lick for that person. So what they did is at the end of 90 days, they called all 160 of those names that they had written down and been praying for or not praying for to invite them to church. Of the 80 who didn't pray, none came to the church or were saved. But of the 80 who did pray, 62 came to the church and most received salvation. Persistent daily prayer. No cheetah prayers. They prayed until the two hands came together, till there was a bridge. My kids, I love them. I get to talk about them, so it's always fun. But there was one time that um, we, uh, a, a guy came to the door, and, and you know, it was, it was salesman for a, a cable company. And so we don't normally, like, you know, do all that. We're cordial and all that stuff. But I knew it was a God moment. I knew God was working. It was just crazy. And so this guy named Kyrie came into to our house, and my kids were there, and Jen was there, and, and I just started saying, hey, man, Jesus loves you, man. He's, he's going to bless you. He's going to do cool things your work. How can I be praying for you? Tell him about Jesus and just, you know, talking to him and saying, hey, how can we be praying for you? What can we do? And so this kind of went on, and my kids were around, and it's always cool when your kids can be there to kind of see you walk out your faith and that kind of thing. So he leaves. That night, we pray almost every night at a certain couch, and we get on our knees, and I teach my kids to get on your knees because he's the king and to respect our king and to come into his presence. And we're in the presence of the Lord, but every night we're praying. And so that first night when we met him, we're, of course, it's like, man, bless Kyrie, save him, save his girlfriend. He, he wanted to come down, all this other, from uh, South Carolina, all this stuff. So we're praying for him. And that, I'll be honest, that was the end of the story for me. I didn't pray any more for him. But it's really cool because my kids have been, been building a bridge. It shocked me, especially doing this message and it reminded me of it. But almost every night that we pray, one of them prays for Kyrie. The first name they put in this bowl in the prayer and worship night was Kyrie. My kids are building a bridge. TBA, are we building a bridge? Are you building a bridge? Are you persistently praying for whoever it is in your life to know Christ? Are we building a bridge to a lost world? Are we a church? Listen, at the end of the day, for this church, there's one thing. It's the mission of Christ, to go into all the world. That's what Jesus wants, to be fishers of men, no matter who you are. And I know sometimes we think, well, I'm not bold like that. I can't walk across the street. I can't do this. Let me ask you this. Does Jesus live within you? 
then you can walk across the street. You can be bold because Jesus is bold and you may not be bold, but Jesus is bold in you. I got this from a website from every home of the gospel. It says, any missionary will tell you the degree to which we mobilize prayer is the degree to which our evangelism efforts grow and are fruitful. And you're like, Brian, those are missionaries. I'm looking at missionaries right here. Every single one of you are missionaries. God put you at your work, at your job, in the places you go for one reason, to reflect him, to tell others about Jesus, to carry out his mission. That's what God has called this church to. Are we praying? Are we doing the work of intercession? The reason we can do this is because Jesus made a bridge to us. The reason that we can pray any prayer is because Jesus first made the prayer of intercession and the work of intercession for us. We can't imagine what it cost him for this intercession. Remember, he was spat at. People mocked him. He was nailed to a cross. He was whipped. I want to share a story that kind of paints this picture. It's really stark, but I think it paints it well. There's a story from history. After World War I, the United States government allocated funds to help care of orphans in Europe. At one of the orphanages, an emaciated man brought in a very thin little girl. He said, I would like for you to take care of my little girl, please. They asked him if the girl was his daughter, and he said, yes. We're sorry, they told him. But rules and our policies are such that we can't take any children who have a living parent. But I was in prison camps during the war, he protested. And now I'm too sick to work. Her mother's gone. She will die if you don't take care of her. The officials felt compassion for the distressed man, but told him their hands were tied. There was nothing they could do. Finally, the man of the little girl said this, do you mean to tell me if I were dead that you give my little girl a home and food and clothes? Yes, they replied. With that, the man picked his little girl up, hugged her and kissed her, and then he placed the hand, her hand in the hand of the man behind the desk, and he said to the man, it will be arranged. And he walked out of the orphanage, and he sacrificed his own life. Why do I tell you such a stark story? Because it's what Jesus did. It's what Jesus did for us. Somewhere in eternity, the day came when Jesus said to the Father, Do you mean, Father, that if I die for those people on earth who are mocking you, spitting at you, calling you names, that they can be saved and live with you forever and have a home? And the Father said, Yes. With that, Jesus put our hands into the Father's hands when he walked out of heaven, was born on earth, and died on the cross and paid for our sins. He made a bridge for us so that we could have a relationship with a holy God. This morning, and Ben, you can come up. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, right now is the time of salvation. Right now, you may have gone to church your whole life, but you realize you don't know Jesus. Right now is the time that you accept Christ as your Lord and your Savior. He died for you. He came to put your hand into the Father's hands. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, I just want to lead you through a prayer. There's nothing magical about the prayer. It's a very simple prayer. But if you do not know Jesus today, you need to invite him into your life right now. 
So just pray this after me. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just say, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for dying for my sins. Forgive every one of my sins, Father. Give me new life right now, Lord. Teach me to walk with you. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. Cleanse me with the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' name, amen. And church, are we about our Father's business? Are we about our Father's business? Who's in your life? Who are you praying for? Maybe some of you can think of a name right now and you've given up praying for them. Maybe it's a child that's gone astray. Maybe it's somebody that doesn't know the Lord at your job, a a close relative, whatever it is. I want to challenge you this morning. This is the bowl from our prayer and worship night. There's many names in here. The first thing I, I challenge people, and I didn't have any paper up here. It was kind of spur of the moment. So there's envelopes in there, but Joni got some some uh, tablets and some pens. If that's you, maybe you need to put a name in this bowl that's not there yet. Maybe you want to come up and, and just lay hands on all the, the people interceding that need intercession. Maybe you just want to come and bow on behalf of whoever it is that you need to pray for and be committed to praying them. Do not give up. Be persistent. Be persistent. Never lose heart. Never lose heart. So let me pray for us as a church. Lord, we ask, Father, first that we would continue to hunger and thirst for your righteousness, hunger and thirst for your words that are life, that you are life, Lord Jesus. But Father, we're asking to be a church that goes, a church that prays, God, a church that sees. Burden us deeply for the lost, Father. Forgive us, God, forgive us for our half-heartedness. Forgive us of our opinions, God. Forgive us for not doing your work. Father, we want to be a church that the lampstand is not removed, God but that your holy presence will burn in this place to do your will, to be fishers of men, Father. I pray that we would cast our nets wide and long out into the sea, Father. I'm praying for souls to be found. God, I'm praying that you would use us, no matter what our personalities are, no matter our wirings, God, that you would begin to bear fruit through us, fruit that brings other people to Jesus, God. I pray that this church would be fruit-bearing as we abide in you, Jesus. Thank you for your words, Lord, that you said, apart from you, we can do nothing. Father, we're only your witnesses as much as we're abiding in you. God, forgive us of of anything else besides you. Help us to be wholehearted, not divided. And God, I pray for these names up here. I pray that you bless them with your salvation, Father. I pray that you would cover them with the blood of the lamb and that they'd be bought with the lamb's blood. Father, I'm praying for this church that, God, we'd be on mission with you and do what you say. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Will you stand and let's continue to worship?